Okay, let's get back into our Bible study lesson 30 in our Gospel of John study. Again, if you were just now joining us, please listen to our intro to Bible study, which is linked in our show notes, and then go through lessons one through 29, and that will catch you up to where we're at right now in lesson 30. But we are going to get into John 4 again. We left off last week on verse 38, and then our last lesson, we were just kind of reflecting on what we've learned and beefing that out a little bit with some other resources. And I hope that was a blessing to you to reflect on these things and to think about how God has used this passage in your life. If he has not used this passage in your life, <laughs> then pause this, <laughs> get on your knees and appropriately respond to what God is teaching you because we should not ever walk away unchanged from being in God's word. Even if it's just given you another nugget of truth about God that you can revel in and rejoice in, then that is something. And that will more accurately frame your view of God as you worship him for who he is. And so I trust that you are learning and growing along with the rest of us and that this has been a blessing for you to get into God's word and to see his heart for sinners, that he loves us too much to leave us where we are. And he is here to change us and to satisfy us and to make us more like him. And that he calls us as humans to participate in that and to be on the business of loving others to Jesus. And that's important too. Okay. So let's pick it up in John four, verse 39. It's remember those people from the town are coming with the woman and Jesus and his disciples were watching them come. It looked like and preparing for them. And it says in verse 39, now from that town, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me everything that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they began asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, no longer because of what you said, do we believe for we ourselves have heard. And we know that this one is truly the savior of the world. Wow. What a statement. I love this. I love that Jesus is lingering with these people and listening to them and speaking with them and no doubt doing some signs in this village, though we aren't told that it could be that that happened also, or it could be honestly that they didn't need signs and wonders. (laughs) Uh, It looks like they were just willing and open to God working. And that's a real blessing to see that. I'm sure that was refreshing after some of the discouraging things Jesus had been through up to this point. So that's really, really exciting. So I'm going to go to our study Bible and just make sure there's nothing else that MacArthur would say about this passage, Pastor John, before we move on and leave the Samaritans behind. Let's see here. There's a note on verse 42. It says, Savior of the world. This phrase occurs also in 1 John 4.14. And remember John, the apostle who wrote the gospel of John also wrote first, second, and third John and the book of Revelation. The verse constitutes the climax to the story of the woman of Samaria. The Samaritans themselves became another in a series of witnesses in John's gospel that demonstrated the identity of Jesus as the Messiah and son of God. This episode represents the first instance of cross-cultural evangelism. We were just saying that in our last episode, that these are like the first missionaries. This is like the first missionary endeavor, and that's really exciting. Oh, that's lovely. I love to see that. And that's a point I hadn't even thought about. Remember from before in our study that 
John has written the Gospel of John specifically for a purpose. And we went to the close to the end of the book of John where he says himself, these things are written so that you would believe and that by believing you would have life in his name. And so John is writing the Gospel of John, we believe again, much later than the other Gospels were written. And he is sharing more information and in certain levels at certain seasons of the ministry of Jesus than the other gospel writers do. And I think it's really significant that MacArthur points out that the Samaritans are now also witnesses, that this is like a collection of, of witnesses almost that John's putting together. And they recognize that Jesus is indeed the savior of the world. And I love that, that these simple people, really pagan people, understand very quickly. Jesus is only there for two days. (laughs) They get it. They're ready. They're seeking him. They're serving him. They come immediately when the woman goes and tells them about Jesus. There's such a freshness and a simplicity of accepting this truth that shows God had been working in their hearts to prepare them for this. But also in contrast to the struggle Jesus had with his own people, it really is, it's, it's poignant It shows you why Jesus wept over Jerusalem and wept over these people who would not be convinced that he was their Messiah. And I'm sure that still is the heart of God. And which is why I think you see throughout scripture, so many references to, even if you resist me as a nation of Israel, that God will still redeem them and that there are promises for the children of Israel that are not yet fulfilled. And we see that in scripture and he tells them no matter what they do, that he will never divorce them, even though they've, they've left him, right? We were told that in multiple passages in the Old Testament, and that's reiterated in the New Testament. And there are prophecies that have not yet taken place regarding the children of Israel. And we can see the culmination of that coming one day because thankfully, praise God as Gentiles who have accepted Jesus and are now part of the family of God, we can praise God that the hardness of hearts of the children of God, the children of Israel, that that does not mean that he will stop pursuing them. And we praise God for that. We have been grafted in. And that does not mean that um, the original tree is not still greatly loved and cherished by God and that he does not still have a good plan for them. And we need to pray for the nation of Israel and pray for them to realize that their Messiah has come. And also to be excited that one day, There will be more Israelites, there'll be more children of Israel saved than there is a number for. And I'm looking forward to that day. And I know that God is also, because he loves us, right? He loves them. And uh, we need to be thankful for that. So we are leaving Samaria now. Um, We see verse 43. And after the two days, he departed from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own homeland. That's interesting to say that there. So it says after two days, he departed from there into Galilee. So he's leaving Samaria and going north into Galilee. We know that from our map of this region, right? So he's leaving the region of Samaria, which is not his homeland. And he's going into Galilee, which is his homeland. Because Jesus is from Nazareth, right? Or more recently in his life is from Nazareth. And that is in the region of Galilee. And so it says, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own homeland. That is really interesting. So there is a note on this in our MacArthur study Bible. It says this proverb, it's also in Matthew 13, 57 and Mark 6, 4 contrasts the believing response of the Samaritans 
with the characteristic unbelief of Jesus's own people in Galilee and Judea, which we just were talking about, whose reticent faith depended so much on Jesus' performances of miracles. That is interesting because again, you don't see miracles referenced in the Samaritans interaction. It doesn't look like they were needed to get them interested and engaged, which is really sad and good for the Samaritans, but sad that that was needed in other places. While in Samaria, Jesus had enjoyed his first unqualified and unopposed success. His own people's hearts were not open to him, but exhibited reluctance and hardness. Oh, that just breaks your heart. It's true, though. That's what we've been talking about. This is really sobering to consider. Oh, man. So for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his homeland. You know, what's interesting, though, here is that the verse 44 following verse 43 It says Jesus is going into Galilee, and then it says, because Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own homeland. It's interesting to see that, isn't it? That even though he doesn't have honor there, he is going there. You know, like from a human standpoint, we'd expect him to say, and Jesus left Galilee and went to Samaria for Jesus would himself testify that a prophet has no honor in his own homeland. But instead, he's leaving a people that are ready and willing and accepting of him. And he is going back to the children of Israel again, because there is a special calling there. There's a special burden on the heart of God for his people. And he is not willing that any should perish. Praise God for that. And he died for the sins of all the world. And we see his focus on the other nations which we are a part of, unless you are a purebred Jew, (laughs) you're a Gentile like me and praise God that he has saved the other nations. And we're so thankful for that. But there is a focus and intentionality, especially in the ministry of Jesus on earth for the people of Israel. And you see here that he is going back to them, even though he has no honor in his own country. And that is really amazing. I mean, just the love of God. Verse 45, it says, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. And then it says, why? Because they had seen all the things he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves had also come to the feast. So remember how when he was in Jerusalem, he cleansed the temple, and then apparently other signs and wonders were done then because it talked about Nicodemus coming to him because they knew he was a teacher from God, right? So things had to have occurred that woke up the religious leaders to his presence and that he was special. And then we also see that Jesus says he does not trust himself. He doesn't entrust himself to man because he knows their hearts. And he knows that like there, there was not genuine faith there, belief, or at least a lot of them weren't like that. Like you can see that Jesus is not relying on the response to his signs and wonders as being true faith. And now we see that it's been some time since then, and he is going back into Galilee. And some of those who were at the feast in Jerusalem are now back home in Galilee and they're welcoming Jesus to them because they're remembering the signs and wonders he did at the feast. And that's really interesting because we don't know what he did in Jerusalem in that period. None of the gospels cover that. But again, remember John the apostle says that if everything was written down, (laughs) like the world couldn't contain the books, right? So Jesus did a lot that was not recorded in scripture. So that's really interesting. So he's in Galilee. He's with people that are kind of excited, like he's a flash in the pan, like he's an entertainer almost is kind of the vibe it seems like we're getting from this. And it says, now in 40, verse 46, now he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. So that's interesting that he is going back to that original city that he was at the marriage celebration for and made wine for out of water. 
If we look at our map of Palestine at the time of Jesus, we can see here uh, Cana is kind of further west in Galilee. And um, remember that when they left Cana after the wedding, they went to Capernaum, Jesus and his some of his family, along with his disciples. And then Jesus and his disciples left Capernaum. It looked like his mother and brothers stayed in Capernaum. And they went down south to Jerusalem. And then they went from Jerusalem up to the region of the Jordan where he was baptizing, which is probably on the edge of Samaria, south of where John the Baptist was baptizing. And then he cut up through Samaria, through Sychar, to visit the people in Samaria and the woman at the well. And then he went back to Cana. So he's made a big circle, basically, since his first like official miracle, which was turning the water into wine. So that's really interesting to see that he's kind of done a big ministry circuit here. Okay, so he's back in Cana, and it's, I don't know how much time has passed here, but we know it takes days to walk between, from one place to another, and that he's spending concentrated time in each of these places. And him and his disciples were in the region of Jordan, his disciples are baptizing. Enough time passed for more people to come to him than were coming to John the Baptist, and then for John the Baptist to be arrested and then for all this news to travel to the religious leaders and for Jesus to know that the religious leaders knew that he was baptizing more than John. So like time's passing, you know, I would think it's probably been at least a few months, maybe longer. We're not really told. So, so verse 46 of John four says, now he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was at Capernaum, a certain Royal official whose son was sick. Okay. So Cana and Capernaum are not next to each other. They're a, they're a distance. So let's see here. If we use our scale on our map, let's see. That's distance is about, it's about 20 miles, maybe a little bit less, it looks like. And again, this isn't taking into account the topography. It could be more if you're going up through mountains or something like that, because it does look a little rugged. As the crow flies, it looks like it's about 20 miles. So we studied earlier in our Bible study that that probably was about a day's journey for this time period and these people, depending on the terrain. So Galilee is a big region and Cana to Capernaum is probably about a day's journey. Capernaum's on the Sea of Galilee and Cana is further west. So that's interesting. So he's in Cana, Jesus is in Cana, but someone in Capernaum knows that Jesus is in Cana. And it says a certain royal official whose son was sick is in Capernaum. This man, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, went to him and asked that he come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. So this is interesting. Oh, and I'm realizing we're out of time. <laughs> Let's get into this in lesson 31.